0: You will turn in your Old Testaments. So I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 62 from the Old Testament. We'll be reading the whole chapter, Isaiah 62. May I remind you when the Old Testament speaks of Zion and Jerusalem, this is a way for the Lord to speak about the church, the people of God. For Zion's seek, for, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen. All the day and all the night they will never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by His mighty arm. I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies, and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary." Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones. Lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. You shall be called sought out a kingdom not forsaken. And now we turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be reading Matthew 10, verses 16 through 25, the next passage in our series through Matthew. Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You shall be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they had called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Since the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God in heaven, May we meditate upon your word with the guidance of your spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we got the the good news from Isaiah first and the scary news from Matthew second. This is not meant to be scary. The Lord, though, is telling us what life in this world will be like. He's realistic. And that's the thing about Christianity, which is true anywhere you look. It's a realistic faith. A faith that doesn't uh, imagine the world to be what it's not. We understand the world we live in now, and we know where we're going. And where we're going is, as that announced by Isaiah 62, the Lord has not abandoned us forever. In fact, in this text, in Matthew, Jesus is basically telling us, don't think that I have abandoned you. This is your calling in this world. It's not that I've abandoned you and I'm punishing you. This is your calling in this world to be my witnesses. They will treat you like they treated me. So, brothers and sisters, this is an important text for us to understand very carefully. Part of why this is so important for Jesus to say this here is he's dealing with disciples who really don't understand what Jesus is going to do. They still don't understand that he's going to die and be raised from the dead and ascend to his Father in heaven and start an age that we are a part of now. They don't understand that. They think they're going to Jerusalem to uh, take the city by force and forcefully bring in a kingdom of this earth centered in Jerusalem. This is what they, they expect. You see that in Acts chapter 1. They actually asked Jesus after the ascension, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Jerusalem uh, and to Israel? And Jesus has basically heard that time and again, and he's, he, he basically tells them, you just wait. It will become clear uh, momentarily. And after Pentecost, it becomes clear to them that they're part of a new creation, not something small, like a uh, kingdom in Israel. And so that's what Jesus is preparing his disciples for. He's already warned them of some of this, as we will see, but now it's starting to become clear. And one thing to note is we're in a section in Matthew, uh, and Matthew helpfully tells us what he's doing. Uh, and uh, he does it by including certain things uh, to indicate who Jesus is talking to in particular. Uh, So Jesus calls, this is is Matthew 10, verse 1, he called to him his 12 disciples. This is not to everybody. This is his 12 disciples, the people whom he is going to appoint to be his uh, witnesses in the world. And then Matthew helps us again at the beginning of, Chapter 11, 11, verse 1, read this. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. So he's talking to the 12 disciples. Uh, Matthew, you know, makes that clear by starting and ending the same point. I'm, you know, he's talking to the 12. He's talking to the 12. Uh, now, this doesn't mean it's irrelevant for us. It is relevant for us by application. Uh, but we have to make careful application. Not everyone here in this room will experience this. Uh, God willing, we won't experience it at all. None of us will. But it's possible. And it's possible for various reasons. And uh, he has called some of us to greater extent to be his witnesses in the world. Uh, and that's that's how we have to apply this. And there's... Uh, At least some of you will experience some of this uh, probably in your life. And that is, there will be opposition to you because you're a Christian. It might be people will say nasty things about you. Uh, This is part of the persecution we can expect. It could be that you will be passed over for a promotion because you're a Christian. I mean, these are the types of things we're talking about here, not necessarily thrown into prison and enslaved uh, or uh, beaten or uh, being put to death. This is not the calling for everybody. But you can expect opposition for being a Christian. And secondly, you can see here that Jesus is helping his disciples, his followers, to see that being a Christian requires prudence. It requires careful consideration and endurance. And these are the two things that we will see in our text. So let's, let's start by talking about the opposition. There will be an opposition to the gospel ministry. And it's the ministry of the gospel. It's for Christ's sake. Uh, and it may be public. What's interesting here is in verse 16 through 18, he says, Beware the men, they'll deliver you over to the courts, verse 17, and flog you in their synagogues. The courts here is the term Sanhedrin, uh, which in its one Supreme Court form is the council in Jerusalem in charge of the people of God uh, of the Old Covenant uh, with the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin. They were the the elders of the people uh, in Jerusalem. And he says they will drag you before their courts as well as in the synagogues. So these are the, the gathering places of the people of God for edification, but they will be turned into places of opposition to Christ. Uh, and that's what Jesus is warning his disciples. He says they will flog you. Uh, this, is, this is also the term for scourging. The difference between flogging is flogging is with a whip and a scourge has little pieces of bone in the Uh, whip that, that cut into the flesh even more gruesomely. And Jesus himself was scourged, Matthew 27, verse 26. He received a scourging. So there's nothing that, that you're going to experience that Jesus didn't also already experience. And then you have this, uh, terrifying, Horrible statement that Jesus gives us in verses 21 and following. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children their parents. This is really just, it's unimaginable to think of this. But uh, it does happen. It happens in this world today. This is something that, again, you have to consider soberly what may happen for the sake of Christ. And I'm not saying this to scare you away. I'm, I'm saying this because the well, I'm saying it because the Bible teaches it. And we're obliged to believe what the Bible teaches. And Jesus is warning that this is the world we live in. This is going to happen to us for his name's sake. And your relationships in the world, you have to keep this in mind that this may happen. And this is a horrible thing. Uh, and uh, let me, I will be reminding you when, when we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus experienced this as well. Now, this is not new. And we've seen this already in our uh, examination of Matthew 8 and 9. Many of the things that Jesus said in the Beatitudes are actually illustrated in what he says and does uh, in these later chapters. And right now, if you want to turn here, it's Matthew 5, verses uh, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account." Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There are two things in here that are notable. Verse 10 and verse 11 is, it's an unusual expression when he says, uh, for righteousness sake. This is not a common expression for that. For the sake of righteousness. And you're thinking, why would I be persecuted if I'm righteous? Righteous. Uh, If I'm standing up for what is right and righteous, I should not receive any opposition in the world. But that's the way the world is. Uh, And you know this. And he clarifies this in verse uh, 11 by saying, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you on my account. And that's the same expression, except he substitutes for righteousness, me, on account of me. So, on account of righteousness, on account of me. Again, this is a little unusual expression. Uh, so, it, it kind of catches the ear when you, when you hear this. On account of righteousness, on account of me. And so, this is this is a, a really important point. Your righteousness is Christ. Standing for Christ is your righteousness. This is the right thing to do. To stand for Him. And then, even more surprising, in verse 12, this is why they persecuted the prophets. Why? Because of me. (laughs) That's what he says. They persecuted the the, the prophets because of me. He was being prophesied by the prophets, and they received persecution and opposition, the prophets, Because of Christ. So you are standing with the prophets. And then he says you are blessed. This is is why I said earlier, you're not under God's anger, it's the opposite. You are blessed. You are given His favor. He treats you as His own prized possession. So the opposition of the world is not a sign of God's hatred and uh, His wrath being poured out upon you. just the opposite. It is a privilege to stand for Christ's name's sake. Well, go back to chapter 10. Jesus uses this same unusual expression here in verse 18. and You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. This is that same unusual expression, for the sake of me, for my sake. It's the same expression you found in that beatitude in chapter 5, for my name's sake. For my sake. And then you get for my name's sake in verse 22. Twice he says that. You're going to be persecuted because of me. Your identity with Christ is what brings you opposition from the world. And then he says something I hope you find tremendously encouraging in the midst of all this scary stuff. Is Jesus says... In verses 24 and 25, these are to be studied. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. You are receiving these things because you are followers of Christ. And if they treated Christ this way, how do you think they will treat you? And that's what he says in verse 25. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Notice what he just said to you. You're members of his household. You're part of his family. You're not slaves living out in some shack in an outlying area. You're living in his home. He regards you as his prized possession, as his family. You want to see this? You go look at Jesus' call to Paul in the book of Acts. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He wasn't persecuting him, he was persecuting his people. Yeah, you're persecuting me. I take it personally. Those are my folk. That's my family whom you're persecuting. This is how how our Lord regards you, members of His family. And then look at how he calls himself, the master of the house. He's in our midst. Here's Jesus. And he says says to us, if they treat the master of the house. Remember that sermon we heard some some little while ago from Hebrews chapter 3? He's the builder of God's house. Of which Moses was a part. This is who we're talking about here. This This is the one speaking to us in the Gospel of Matthew the builder of God's house, the master of the house. And He has all power, brothers and sisters. He's in control of all these things that happen to you. He's not not in heaven ignoring what's happening here. He has His eye on you as His prized possession, as His beloved ones, whom He cares for deeply. If you go through something like this, you are blessed. And it's because He's reminding you. Your reward is in heaven. You have an eternal reward. This, all this stuff is passing. All this stuff is a brief experience in light of eternity. When we, When we get to, to stand before the Lord of glory at the end of days... You think we're going to meditate on all the suffering we went through in this life? It will be like a dream. It will be like something that I don't even remember that anymore in comparison with all the glory and the beauty and the joy that we have. Remember what we see, what we heard in the psalm. Come before the Lord with joy. That's what we're going to do in the end of days is come with joy before him. But brothers and sisters, they treated him badly. They treated him very badly, and they may treat us badly. But notice also what the Lord says in verses 19 through 20. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Again, your Father. He hasn't withdrawn His fatherly kindness from you. He provides His Spirit so that you can speak properly and stand in the evil day. Through the Holy Spirit, the great and powerful presence of God, Almighty God standing with you, and providing for you the words to say because you will be uh, it will be delivering testimony for the people whom you whom you speak with this is verse 18 you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake for my sake to bear witness before them and the gentiles so if you want to know what our purpose is in this life it that's it this is this is one of the main Reasons why Westminster Presbyterian Church in Corvallis, Oregon exists, and that is to bear witness to the world. We bear witness to the world, whether they heed us or not, we bear witness faithfully to the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus and the name of Jesus upheld, time, day in and day out, week in and week out. That's why we're here, and we will continue to declare His name, that they will hear and many will come. We We don't bear witness futilely expecting no one to come and to hear us. Because we have God as our Father through the Holy Spirit. Who knows? In His good providence and kind care, He may sweep through this valley like nobody's business. We may see many come here, so much so that we'll burst the seams. God grant that. Until then, brothers and sisters, we stand fast. We stand fast and hold to the name of Jesus. We don't modify our message. We hold to the Word of God. We announce the Word of God. The Word of God shapes everything we do as a brothers and sisters of the Lord, trusting in the Lord to care for us and provide for us. That's that's what we're doing. And until then, we stand for Jesus' sake, for His name's sake. The second thing that, so that's that's the opposition that we can face. But the second thing the Lord provides for us here is a reminder that this calls for wisdom and endurance. Now, the word for wise here, this is verse 16, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The word for wise here can probably better be translated prudent. It means insightful or thoughtful, shrewd. Uh, wisdom is not this thing of contemplative, you know, looking inward or something, whatever people think wisdom is today. This isn't really what he's talking about. He's talking about prudent, thoughtful lives that you take care to think about your circumstances and what you're facing in the world. Give thought to situations. And he says, be prudent like serpents. And I think it's, you know, my best way of understanding this, is if you've ever seen a snake, um, particularly one who's studying you, wondering if he can eat you. (laughs) I had a rattlesnake once. Staring at me. Thank the Lord. I was going to be walking right by this thing and um, scared a rabbit up and the rabbit got got eaten and not me. (laughs) I'm not sure the snake could eat me. I'm a little big. But still, they stare at you. And you can just see the gears turning. I don't know could I get my mouth that big? I think that's what he's talking about, thoughtfully studying the situation. This is prudence. And yet he says, innocent as doves. I don't know. I I don't know any other words for innocent here, but the word here uh, struck me as unusual. It means, uh, I'm not sure this is the meaning, but this is the origin of the word is, doesn't have horns, you know, it doesn't have horns, so it's not dangerous. Because, you know, animals with a horn, like a ram, is kind of dangerous, they might, you know, butt into you. And the horn is a sign of power. Uh, but the dove doesn't have horns, which is true. I mean, every dove I've ever seen has no horns. Um, and And so it's innocent, but, you know, innocent, can be taken in a funny way. Um, I think it means um, not dangerous, thoughtful, but not given to guile, not given to trying to deceive people. Straightforward, I think is what the Lord Jesus says. If you want to know what this looks like, you look at what Jesus does. Look at how he interacts with his contemporaries, even with those who are going to crucify him. This this is what he's like. He models this behavior of somebody. And he's prudent. Now this prudence is quite interesting because you could go to Proverbs chapter 1. And if you've not studied Proverbs, start with Proverbs 1, and it gives you kind of the foundation for how to regard the book, particularly the early part. Proverbs 1 through 9 is a catechism, basically. I think it's a catechism for young people in the church. So Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 through 7 reads as follows. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. This This is what we start with, and then you can see there's a studying of things so that we know the world we live in, we can study it and understand how we are to behave innocently before our Lord, uh, being instructed by Him in how to do that. So there's riches in Scripture on how to live our lives uh, in the instruction of the Lord as He gives us here. He tells us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves you can study how that takes place in Scripture quite easily. And then there's endurance. Now, endurance is, uh, this is, this is verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Christianity requires endurance of everybody. You must endure and persevere in the faith. And it's not always easy. There are times when, for, for whatever reason, uh, you find it difficult to maintain your Christian testimony in this world. Um, it's just because we lose, we lose sight of the goal. We lose sight of the Lord and of the joy of the Lord, even in the midst of all this, and the blessing that he provides for us. This is, this is the case, even for pastors. If you want to see uh, this, go on the Internet, I don't often recommend that. but rec- Go on the internet and search for pastor burnout in America. It turns out pastors burnout is pretty common in America. Uh, I've, I've read it different times. It's like 50% of pastors after five years uh, no longer are in the pastorate. I don't know. Um, I was trying to think of Uh, my own seminary class. You know, you go to seminary to become a pastor. I have a pastoral training, although my career was in academics, teaching pastors uh, in a seminary. But I think of my seminary classmates. I did not have a very large uh, seminary class. Uh, I think there were like 10 or 12 of us graduating that early day. And... I only know of one guy who didn't continue in the pastorate. So, uh, missionary, pastor, another pastor. I, one of my seminary classmates is an OPC pastor in San Jose. I think he's still active. He's been in that church since I graduated in 1985. So he's still the pastor of that church. Uh, another friend just also was a seminary New Testament professor. He just retired like I did uh, there's a missionary in Israel, um, one pastor in Oregon who passed away. Uh, yeah, there, I mean, we've all, one's a college professor, but that's unusual. It's, it's a, uh, it's a reason why we should be reminded to be enduring. And I don't say that because, you know, doesn't really affect me here, uh, but I want you to take up the task of prayer for the people of God in our church and other churches, particularly, you know, in our area, we uh, labor in a an area where there are so few Christians, relatively speaking, and we need that old-time saying of Luther, ora et labora. Uh, Pray and work. This is what you do. This is this is the task before us. We pray and work. We we give prayer and uh, we watch over our elders with uh, care and concern that they are protected by the Lord to endure and lead us, and that we may uh, grow as the congregation. That our Uh, Church officers in particular might stand fast in the midst of all the trials that uh, that they encounter that you don't know about, uh, that they would be uh, steadfast in the mission of of the church. Because notice that Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's talking to his disciples who are going to lead the church and found it upon the testimony of Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, there's nothing new here. This is is what we expect as the members of the family of Jesus Christ and of His family that we'll be treated like He does. But you you can be absolutely sure in all of life's trials that the following is how Jesus regards you. Matthew 12, 46 and following. While He was still speaking to the people, Behold his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him, but he replied to the man who told him, "Who is my mother, and who are my brothers?" and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, "Here are my mothers and my brothers. Here are my here is my mother, here is my father, here are my brothers, here are my sisters." You look around this room, here are your mothers and fathers, your older brothers, your younger sisters. Here you are together in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, standing fast, persevering in our most holy faith. Because blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, our Lord assures us. Let us pray. We have reached a difficult section of your Scripture, O Lord, that challenges us. We could fall into despair and fear. Grant, O Lord, that we would fear you above all. And that holy fear would produce love and joy in the midst of life's troubles. I pray, O Lord, that you would grant us perseverance. Give us a double portion of your Spirit that we may stand fast in the evil day, that you would clothe us with the armor of God, the whole armor of God, and in your counsel, that we may stand fast and give witness to the world where we may see your holy will accomplished here on earth. And grant, O Lord, that our testimony will be effective. We long to see our gospel be effective in the lives of our neighbors who do not know you that you would convert them, O Lord, and grant them eternal life through the words of life in Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.